hello to everyone on all of our campuses, for those watching online, reading this inside the incarcerated church through CF Inside. Um, it's good to be with you today, but I'm actually here uh, with a heavy heart this morning. Um, I wasn't supposed to be preaching this weekend, and Pastor Becky called me at 11.30 yesterday to let me know that her brother passed away in a car accident yesterday morning, and... Uh, and so I'm going to try in, in large part to preach the message that Becky was going to preach while she's on her way back to St. Louis to be with her family. Um, on a small level, I'm nervous about teaching such a huge topic with so little time to prepare. Um, but on a, on a much larger level, um, I'm hurting for my friend. And... I'm hurting for her family. I'm hurting for her brother's pregnant wife and their two children. Um, I, got, I got the chance to spend a little bit of time with John, uh, her brother, and he was a good man. I've got to spend some time with Becky's family over the years, and they are good people. Last week, we, we attempted to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And here we are this week. And that question hits very close to home. This week, we're in the third week of our series called You Asked For It, and it's been a great series, and we've seen God do some incredible things so far. And maybe it's ironic, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit working and moving and preparing Becky for what she was going to face this weekend as she prepared to talk to all of us about prayer which is the only thing I know to do for her right now. So I hope you'll be praying for Becky and for her family. And before we get started at all today, I hope um, you're okay with me praying right now. Will you join me? Father God, I just, I come before you and there's moments like these that happen in life that just seem so unfair and um, confusing and my natural reaction is to just ask why, but God, ultimately I know that you're in control. Ultimately, Becky knows that you're in control. Her family knows that. And so um, we're asking today that you help them lean into that trust and faith that they have in you in a time that feels like um, just painful. And God, I ask that today that the message that Becky prepared, the words that she prepared for your church, that as the Holy Spirit worked and moved over the last couple weeks as she struggled through and wrestled through this message, God, that that same Holy Spirit speaks through me. God, that uh, we might walk away today with a little bit more understanding about prayer and your desire um, and your understanding when it comes to this, this topic. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're going to try and tackle two very difficult questions that you asked for. They're these two questions right here. How does prayer work, and why do some prayers get answered and others don't? At the heart of, of both of these questions is a desire to understand and, and comprehend the mystery that is prayer. 
When a doctoral student at Princeton asked, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? Albert Einstein replied with this, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Now, Einstein's response is an honest and telling one. I would even say that there is perhaps no other thing more widely practiced and and regularly practiced that still remains so confusing and so mysterious to so many. Um, Every religion focuses on prayer. Every religion has some form of prayer. Even people who aren't religious understand that there's something to this whole prayer thing. I have an atheist friend who calls me often and asks me to pray for him and his family. I'm like, who do you want me to pray to? And I think, I think he does that because prayer is universal. It, it speaks to some basic human need. And there's something within us that wants to connect with something bigger, to know that, that we aren't alone, that we have access to something greater than ourselves. Yet for, for many of us, there's this gap between prayer in theory and prayer in practice. In theory, prayer is the essential human act. It's, it's a priceless point of contact with the God of the universe. But in, pr- in practice, prayer is often confusing and frustrating and disappointing and even at times seems pointless. That's why I believe that these questions we're asking today are crucial. And, and in the same breath, I have to warn you guys ahead of time, we aren't going to solve the mystery that is prayer in just one sermon. For one, I'm not that smart. But two, if prayer was that easy to figure out, it would not be so elusive to so many today. But what I do believe can happen in the next 35 minutes or so is that we can lay a foundation when it comes to the topic of prayer that will serve as as a catalyst for each and every one of us to continue to learn and explore and grow our understanding of this great mystery, not just in this week, but in the weeks and months to come. So with that said, let's get started with our first question. The first question for today is, how does prayer work? Now, we can't answer this without first understanding what prayer is, and there are countless people who have tried to define and describe prayer over the centuries, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to let Mother Teresa do it because she seemed to know what she was talking about. Here's what Mother Teresa said. Prayer is simply talking to God. He speaks to us, and we listen. We speak to him and he listens. It's a two-way process, speaking and listening. That is really prayer, both sides listening and both sides speaking. Now let's, let's think about this for a moment. The God who spoke the universe into existence, the God who gives everything life and breath, the God who holds all things together, that God invites us to dialogue with him. The fact that the creator of the universe wants to have a conversation with mere human beings is unfathomable, yet based on what we read in scripture and what we understand about God, it's true. God actually cares about us, so much so that he made himself available to us, and beyond that, God doesn't just make it possible for us to talk to him, he actually wants to hear from us. This is crazy to me. But there's something important to take note of here in light of what Mother Teresa said, because when we define prayer like she did as as simply talking to God, the question, how does prayer work, can actually be a misleading question, because it's a question that implies 
that prayer is transactional in nature, like it is a, a formula that needs to be figured out. Something like, if I talk with God, God will give me what I want. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's a transactional relationship, and a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking that that's how prayer works. Um, my wife is out of town this weekend, and, and I started, right before she left, I started complaining about how tired I was um, and how little sleep I've been getting and letting her know that I was gonna be at home with our five-year-old son while she left. And, and so, so she said, um, great, and rolled her eyes and said, now I'm gonna have to owe you something when I get back for letting me take off for this weekend. And, I, and because I'm such a good husband, I was like, no, uh, actually just Cubs versus Giants tickets when they're, when they're here in July will work great. Um, now that's an example of a transactional relationship and it's not healthy. Luckily, my wife knows that I was joking. If she doesn't, I still get Cubs tickets, so I think it all works out for me in the end. But here's the deal. Sometimes we have a tendency to view prayer like this, that it's transactional. When in, when in reality, prayer, like every healthy relationship, is not transactional, it's relational. Like any healthy marriage or friendship, Having consistent, intentional communication is essential in order for that relationship to flourish. The same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. And prayer is the vehicle by which intimacy develops. In his book titled, Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? Philip Yancey writes this. Prayer includes moments of ecstasy and also dullness. Mindless distraction and acute concentration, flashes of joy and bouts of irritation. In other words, prayer has features in common with all relationships that matter. The thing that I love about this quote from Yancey is that it helps me to take the pressure off of prayer that I so often put on it. Like sometimes we work prayer up so hard in our minds that we have to, we have to pray a certain way or make prayer look a certain way. Like, like what do I actually do when I pray? I know I have to have my head bowed and my eyes closed and my hands folded. I don't know, the emoji says I have to do this, but I'll do this. It's confusing. Or that, that, that prayer has to have some level of articulation to it for it to be good. And if we don't do those things, then we're actually not good enough or, or our prayer isn't effective or it's not worthwhile or it's not worth the effort when all of that is simply not true. So, so how does prayer work? Well, on one, one hand, like Mother Teresa said, it's talking with God, it's listening to him, it's conversing with the creator of the universe in order to be in relationship with him. While on the other hand, prayer is complex and varied and confusing and mysterious. For example, like we just discussed, prayer is not transactional in nature. But at the same time, God still tells us to ask him for things. I mean, Jesus says on several, several occasions things like, like, whatever you ask in my name, it will be given to you. Or, or whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now this leads us right into our second question today. If Jesus tells me to ask, if he, if he tells me to ask Questions. If he tells me to ask for things, why in the world do some prayers get answered and others do not? This is the mystery of prayer. 
You know, I'm willing to guess that every person in this room at one point or another has asked God for something that they have still not yet received. A lot of you know that, that my dad is, is currently battling cancer. Um, just yesterday, my mom posted a picture on Instagram of my mom and dad from 10 years ago, and she, she just captioned it with hashtag cancer sucks. And that seemed a little scary to me. My dad just stopped taking his chemo pill and has moved to immunotherapy literally this past week, and so I was nervous that something bad had happened to my dad, so I freaked out, and I, and I texted my dad, and I said, is everything okay? Mom's posts seemed a little ominous. And my dad replied and said, yeah, everything's great. Your mom just had too much time to think. And he kind of misspelled think a little bit, so I don't know if he was trying to write think or your mom had too much time to drink. Either way, <laughs> like, like we see how much this question is weighing on our family. Like cancer is weighing on us, and it's been the focus of our prayer for well over a year now. My whole family, my sister, my, my mom, my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles, my cousins, we are all praying and believing for a miracle. Month after month, we're desperate for God to intervene and, and remove the cancer from my dad, but it's still there. What, what do we do with that? You know, I, know, I know parents who for decades have been praying for their daughter who continually makes bad choices. They've suffered so much pain as they've watched their daughter reject God and reject them and continue to make decisions that just lead toward more addiction, more drugs, more prison. They have been crying out to God to restore her, to bring their little girl back home. Yet the only, the only change that, that has seemed to occur up to this point is that things are just getting worse. What do we do with that? You know, I don't think there's a day that goes by, and I'm sure you're with me on this, where I, where I can get on Facebook and don't see an update of a child who I know who's fighting terminal illness or, or reading about a struggle with, with uh, friends who are, who are struggling with infertility or other friends who are being brave and courageous enough to share about their ongoing battle with depression or anxiety. And these are situations of people who I know that I've been praying for, and I know that there are other people who are praying for those situations but God still seems to remain silent. Silent. What, what do we do with that? I probably don't even need to give examples because I imagine for many of us, just simply hearing the term unanswered prayer brings up a specific situation that you're going through right now. And think about that. What is that situation for you? I'm sure it's a situation that's filled with immense pain, frustration, agony, desperation, confusion, and even at times wondering, where are you, God? And it's moments like these where it becomes really easy to give up faith, where we begin to believe that maybe God doesn't actually care about our prayers. Perhaps God has more important things to focus on. Maybe I'm not good enough to have God intervene in the situations that I'm desperate in. And as for as painful as it might be to believe those things, I think we actually choose them on purpose because here's the deal. It's a lot easier to believe that maybe God doesn't actually care about my prayers than it is to deal with the pain that comes from believing that God hears my prayers, he cares about my prayers, but he still chooses to do nothing. Why? 
You see, I don't, I don't doubt that God answers prayer. I've seen it happen over and over again in my life and in the lives of others. The thing I struggle with is the inconsistency in which those answers seem to come about. Why are some prayers answered and others aren't? It does, it does bring me comfort knowing that I'm not the only one who's struggling through this, though. I mean, I think that's why we're talking about this question this week in church, because you asked for this question. It's, it's something we're dealing, dealing with. But what's really interesting is that all throughout the Bible, and even throughout Christian history, we see example of example of people crying out to God in desperation, only to feel like God has remained silent, like their prayer has gone unanswered. And just so, just so we're on the same page, when I say unanswered prayer, um, I, I realize that I think, and that's something I believe, God actually does answer every prayer. Um, we've all, I think a lot of us have heard the saying, God's answer is either yes, no, or, or not yet. But when God says no or not yet, it really feels, if you're in the thick of it, it really feels like he's not answering that prayer. And so I just wanna make sure we're on the same page there. And when I say unanswered prayers, that's what I'm referring to. But like I said, this happens all throughout the Bible. It happens all throughout Christian history. Like, if you just open up the Psalms and read what King David would write, there are moments where King David's like, God, you are so awesome. You're incredible. I love you. You provide so much. And then you turn the page and David's like, where are you? It's crazy. Another great example is, is, and someone we're gonna study a little bit today, is the Apostle Paul. Um, And Paul was perhaps the greatest follower of Jesus Christ of all time. Um, He wrote a majority of the New Testament. He's largely responsible for the spread of Christianity in the first century. And and, and even still, even though all that is true about Paul, he still struggled through this question of unanswered prayers. Grab a Bible or your Bible app. We're going to open up to 2 Corinthians 12. We're going to be writing verses 7 through 8 today. And in this passage, Paul is writing to a group of believers in a city called Corinth. And he's being extremely vulnerable with them about one of his greatest struggles. We're going to start like in the first sentence in, in uh, verse 7. So skip forward a few words and start with the word therefore in your Bibles. Verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. It, it might have been emotional, spiritual, physical, mental. We don't, we don't know. What we, what we do know is that it was a dark and bleak situation for, for Paul, something that he said tormented him regularly. And it's something that he pleaded with God. It was so painful that he pleaded with God on several occasions to intervene in this situation and remove it from his life. But despite Paul's prayers of desperation, his prayers are left unanswered. As far as we know, Paul struggled with the thorn in his flesh for his entire life. I'm sure, like many of us, Paul asked God, why? Why does it feel like you're ignoring me? Why why does it feel like you don't care? And yet, Paul still does not get answers to his why questions. And because Paul's not getting answers, and because we see people throughout Scripture not getting answers, and and in light of our conversation today, I think this begs the question, is it even possible, 
Is it even possible to answer the question, why do some prayers get answered and others don't? And here's what I've landed on. Here's the big answer. Here's why you came to church today. Yes and no. Aren't you glad I got that all cleared up? Like, you're really glad you're here. Um, We can all go home now. No, um, here's the deal. Let me explain that. Yes, yes, I believe, I do believe that we can find some biblical answers to the intellectual problem of unanswered prayers. And I could stand up here for the rest of our time together and attempt to explain that sometimes the reason we don't get answers to our prayers is tied to a lot of the things that Kevin and Andy talked about last week when we answered the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Some of the things they talked about was that it may be a result of our broken and fallen world. Um, Maybe from our human free will, the fact that we live in a war zone and we have a very real enemy who desires to see us fall away from God. These things could all be reasons why we feel our prayers go unanswered. If you want to dig further with this part of of the sermon today, if you want to dig further with this why question, there are two books that have helped me tremendously as I've wrestled and struggled through this question. And here's the two books I would highly, highly recommend. First one's by Philip Yancey. I quoted something from this earlier. Prayer, does it make any difference? And then another great book from Pete Gregg. This guy is a rock star. I mean, they're both rock stars. Great reads. But he wrote a book called God on Mute, Engaging the Silence of Unanswered Prayer. Phenomenal reads. Pick these book up, books up, and I, and I encourage you to study them with your community groups or, or study on your own. Um, but, but what I've read here is so important because yes, yes, I do believe we can find answers to this question. It is possible to answer this question. But at the same time, no, I can't fully answer this question. Why do some prayers get answered and others don't? Here's why. If you came up to me and ask me today, Steve, why did God allow my dad to die? Or you came up and asked me, Steve, why, why is God allowing my son or my daughter to continue to stay afflicted with this terrible disease? I would not be able to answer that question. I mean, I could sit with you, I could cry with you, I could pray with you, pray with you I could try to relate to what you're going through, but I couldn't answer And as someone who likes to be in control, as someone who likes to have an answer for everything that drives me crazy, that I can't tell you why God isn't answering those prayers for you. But the reason I'm not gonna spend the rest of our time talking about why is because I think that simply wrestling with that why question, why did this happen, why did my prayer not get answered, I think wrestling with just that question won't get us anywhere. Don't get me wrong, why questions are really good questions. They're important questions. They are necessary questions. God actually wants us to come to him with those questions and and those frustrations, even with all of our anger and disappointment. He wants us to give those questions to him because he can handle it. So don't think that I'm saying that our why questions are not important. I'm not saying that. But at the end of the day, as much as we desire to have our why questions answered, we might not. And we probably will not ever be able to make sense of all these unanswered prayers on this side of eternity. You guys, you know what one of the things I've been wrestling through as I've been working on this message is that I guarantee you that even though Becky prepared to give you this message, she is wrestling through what I just said right now. 
But I believe, and I know Becky really well, I believe that if she weren't on her way to St. Louis as we speak, she would be standing here telling you that instead of just asking why, we have to take another step and at some point in our journey with Jesus begin to ask the question, what? God, what are you doing in and through this situation? God, how are you trying to redeem? God, what are you doing in and through me as a result of this unanswered prayer? You see, why is a natural reaction. It's something that, we, that comes really naturally to us, but what is an intentional action? You know, why validates our pain? That's why this question is still a good question, but here's what what does. What begins to move us toward healing? Look back at your Bibles with me, and, um, and let's, let's look at the next couple verses that, that Paul writes here in, in 2 Corinthians 12. Um, because even though, even though Paul never got his, his thorn in his flesh removed, um, even though that prayer was never answered, even though Paul wrestled with the why behind it, Paul also began to ask what as well. God, what are you trying to do in and through me? Help me to see the big picture. And he was obviously aware of some of it, right? Like we read in verse seven that he said, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, which was only a problem in the first century, none of us struggle with that today. But, but, but Paul said, like, there's some, God's up to something here. God's doing something in me. And also through me. If we read verses nine and 10, we see this. Um, but he said to me, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Powerful words. You see, Paul's, Paul's circumstances that he prayed for again and again and again never actually changed. But if you read the rest of Paul's story, you'll see that this thorn in the flesh was really just the tip of the iceberg when it came to the struggles and troubles that Paul endured. I mean, Paul was persecuted for his faith. He was abandoned by his friends. He was unfairly beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned falsely imprisoned multiple times for years, and ultimately he was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. But somehow he got to this place, the place where he chose to trust in who he knew God to be. He trusted knowing that God really is in control, that God is intimately aware of what Paul is going through and that God actually cares about it. And I think when we get to this place where we realize that God is at work, we can begin to see what God is doing in us. Paul believed that we can trust God and we can trust in the way that, that God is working, that, that God is working ultimately for our good and for his glory. That's why Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, which is crazy that Paul says this. Everything I just told you that Paul went through, that dude still wrote, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
When Paul went from asking why to asking what, everything changed for him. And I honestly believe that the same can be true for us. When we cry out to God with our why prayers and then also move to begin praying what prayers, we can grow, we can find healing, even in the midst of our confusion, pain, and lack of answers. When we begin to ask what, we are allowing God into our hopelessness, we're allowing him into our disappointment, and then we trust God to redeem it. You know, even, even though we may not be able to cleanly and concisely answer the question, why do some prayers get answered and others don't, there are still two things that I find a lot of comfort in. And hopefully this will help you with wherever you're at right now. The first thing that I find comfort in knowing is that Jesus can relate. Jesus personally knows and has experienced this pain. If you read Mark 14, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestling for his life through prayer. He's overwhelmed by intense spiritual, emotional, and physical pressure, and it's in this moment that he cries out to God, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. God, I know you're fully capable. I know you can take the suffering away, but God, this is what Jesus says next, not my will, but your will be done. God, I know you have the power to intervene, but I trust you. Just a mere few hours later, Jesus is betrayed, he's arrested, he's wrongfully tried, and the very next day, he's brutally beaten and inhumanely hung on a cross. And while he hung on that cross, even Jesus asked why. In Matthew 27, 46, right before Jesus breathes his final breath, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What an alarming question for God to ask God. And yet there is no immediate answer. And perhaps the most painful moment, in his most painful moment, in his most painful moment of suffering, Jesus cries out to God asking why, and the answer is silence. The heavens do not part. There are no doves that descend, no voice that says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased just darkness in the middle of the afternoon. The reality is that Jesus chose to experience the loneliness and confusion and pain that many of us feel what we believe we are sitting with in the midst of an unanswered prayer. Jesus can relate. But let's also remember the what that was at play here. What happened through Jesus? Because for as real and painful and hopeless as that moment on the cross was for Jesus, the story didn't end there. The darkest moment of Jesus' life brought about the greatest hope for all of humanity. Friday was nothing but death. Saturday was nothing but silence. But Sunday came. And Sunday brought new life. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that whatever unanswered prayer you are currently sitting in, that you currently find yourself facing, that your story does not end there either. Because God has a plan in motion. He is working in ways that remain unseen to us that will, that will result in the complete restoration and redemption, not just of your story, but the story of creation. Guys, we, we can read ahead. 
I mean, the end of the story is already written. The ultimate victory has already been won. Jesus will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, because Jesus is going to make all things new. And that is what I strive to trust day after day in the midst of the prayers I feel go unanswered. This is the epic love story we just talked about last week. But there's also one more thing that brings me comfort in the midst of this conversation today. And I'll close with this. Not not only can Jesus relate, but we can relate. Earlier, I talked about how people on all of our Cornerstone campuses and all the auditoriums listening today, most of us are probably sitting in the midst of an unanswered prayer right now. We're probably experiencing that in our life right now. Last fall, my uh, my dad got up in front of the congregation at his church and preached his first message back after getting a tumor removed from his back. Uh, The tumor was benign, but he still has cancer and a few other spots in his body. It moved in his lungs and lymph nodes and My dad got up to teach this sermon, and and I'm just gonna read to you something that my dad said because I think he did a pretty good job. So so here's what my dad said. I 100% believe God is going to answer my prayers to heal me. I just don't know if it will be in this life or the next. And since that life is way more important than this one, I'm okay with that. I think I'm still struggling to be okay with that, but my dad's okay with that. Whether, he, he went on to say this, whether in this life or the next, cancer and the evil of this world will not win the ultimate battle over me for Christ has already won. And then he said, I believe, no, 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 stop. I know that God has already defeated my cancer. Does that mean it will disappear? Not necessarily, but it does mean that in the midst of my cancer in Christ, I can experience peace and I can make sure that anyone else who's going through any pain or trial or prayer that does not get answered knows that we are in this together. He then went around to the people in his congregation and he asked them to stand He asked people to stand who were in the middle of an unanswered prayer, in the middle of pain or struggle or heartbreak or something broken they had been crying out to God to fix. And his most important point was that Jesus Christ has already won the battle. And his second most important point was that that as people stood, that we are in this together that we can help bring peace to one another, that we can strengthen each other's faith and trust, that we can help each other grieve and mourn through the why question and also take a step toward the what question. We can help each other figure out what God is doing in us and through us in the midst of our pain. And as you walk through doubt, as you walk through your grief, as you walk through whatever it is you're experiencing right now, I hope that you know that this is what the church is here for, to walk alongside you, to help you grieve, but also help you grow. Right now, I wanna take a moment to let each other know that that we can all relate to what we feel are unanswered prayers. And I I wanna ask you to do what my dad asked his church to do. If you are in the middle of praying or pleading with God about something in your life that you feel like God isn't answering yet, something that I'm about to list off, as soon as I list the thing that you're dealing with, I'm just gonna ask you to stand. And then once you stand, I wanna encourage you to stay standing because I think it's important to see that we're not alone in this. 
So if you or someone you are very close to right now is walking through a battle with cancer, I want to ask you to stand. If you or someone you're really close with is is going through chronic fatigue or pain, stand up. A a debilitating disease or injury, maybe, maybe someone who's struggling with infertility in the room today or on one of our campuses. If you're walking through the loss of a job, a financial crisis, a broken family, a loss of a marriage, a loss of a loved one, stand up. If you've, got a, if you've got a son or a daughter or someone close who's wandered away from Jesus and you're crying out to God, stand up. If you're dealing with mental health issues that, that this church does not take lightly, I want you to stand up. If you're dealing with addiction, if you're recovering from an addiction or maybe you're just still in the, in the throes of an addiction, stand up. If there's something else that you're dealing with right now that you're crying out to God to answer and it feels like he's not answering, just stand. I think that statement we can relate is a, is a valid one. We know what you're going through. We know what each other's going through. This is church, and this is why, why community and, and being connected to one another is so important to us. As you stay standing, let me just say this. We are a church that believes God can heal or fix or repair whatever it is you're going through right now. And we are going to pray that prayer for you today. We know how exhausting it is for you to pray that prayer over and over again and feel like you're not getting any, any answers. But we also today wanna ask you to take an enormous step of faith and begin to ask God or maybe continue to ask God in the midst of your situation, not just why he's got you going through this, but what he wants you, what he wants to do in you and through you as you do. If that's a step you wanna take today, and maybe you don't, maybe you're not ready to move from why to what, and that's totally okay. Like I said, that's a necessary place to be. If you wanna just still grieve and mourn, and we'll, we'll go through that process with you. But if you're someone today who wants to say, you know what, I'm ready to move from why to what. I want to move from asking God, why, are you, why do you have me here, to, to what, do you want me to, what do you want to do in me and through me. I want to ask you to do one thing. As you stand there, if you're ready to move from why to what, just put your hands out like this. This right here, this is a posture of surrender. And it's a posture that, that says, God, I'm ready to receive whatever it is you have for me even though it may not be the answer I'm looking for. I trust you. My dad's been sitting like this for a while. I'm praying that Becky's sitting like this right now. Because I think God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us when we're postured like this. I'm gonna pray and and if you're standing or sitting next to someone who's standing, I just wanna ask you to to reach out and put your hand on their shoulder. If you wanna pray for them as as I pray, if you wanna pray out loud, that's awesome, do that. But I'm gonna pray and then uh, we're gonna sing together and just declare God's might and power and love for us. God, I am so grateful that even though we we probably didn't answer this question very well today, 
that you're bigger than our questions, God. God, we trust that, that even in our small, finite brains, God, that, that we know if we could understand you, then we probably you probably wouldn't be much of a God. But you are a great God. A God that we can run to with our burdens and run to with our hurts and our pains and our questions and our frustrations, God, and you're okay with that, God, but you also desire to see us grow. Father, help us to be a church and a group of people that walks alongside people that are hurting, people that are in pain, God, but also make sure they don't get stuck there. Father, that we grow closer to one another and closer to you as you do what you do and advance your kingdom throughout, throughout these towns and neighborhoods in the world. We adore you, we love you, and we are going to, to shout your name, God, in worship. Pray this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus. Amen.